Hi, everybody, and welcome to the best little horror house in Philly. I'm your host, George Heffler, and this is the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is my friend and yours, Nick Butts. How you doing, Nick? I am good. And I have to say, I was a little stressed about oh, yeah? coming on here, because the best horror movie of all time is a lot of pressure once you get thinking about it and you have to pick one to talk about for an hour. Yeah, it's a, it's a real <sighs> challenge. And so I picked a movie that is always at the top of my list, like whenever people ask, like this is always what I say. But when I started thinking about how I was going to talk about it, I was like doubting myself. I'm like, is this really good enough? But after rewatching it, I feel confident. So we're good to go. That's great. Yeah. So you say that this is always near the top of your list. Do you have an extensive list? What's your history with horror like? So as a younger fella, as a kid, I was not into scary movies I I was apparently a little nerd. I was not into roller coasters for a long time. I was not into scary movies. You know, just wasn't my thing. And then I went... Thrill-seeking wasn't there. Yeah, and then I went on, like, my first roller coaster... My first quote-unquote roller coaster was the slingshot. And and after that, I was like, all right, well, I can do any of them now. Um, (laughs) That's good. You can start with the the, the worst or the scariest, and then uh, they can only get less scary from there. Exactly. And so my first like real horror movie was probably pretty typical. It was like with a bunch of friends in like eighth grade and we watched Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, classic. And it is a classic. It and is it's a classic for a lot of people's first one, which is uh, really yeah. says a lot about its durability. And that was probably the, the one that was competing with the movie that I actually picked because it was so scary for a lot of reasons, uh, especially at that age. And I noticed that there were a lot of similarities between these two insofar as, like, what I found terrifying about them. Right. Not not really anything to do with, like, the story or how they're filmed or anything, but just, like, what really got me about them. So we can get into that later. Sure, um, sure. But after that, I, like, didn't sleep for a couple nights because I didn't want to get swallowed by my bed. And <laughs> then, like, in college, probably, became friends with one of my best friends, Ben, who is a huge movie buff. He does a ton of writing. He has Can I Be Real on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but he's like a huge horror movie buff and we were roommates and we lived together for a few years. And so he got me into it and like just his passion for it really sparked it within me. And I was like, oh, it's not just about this is scary. I don't want to watch it. There's so much to it. It's such an interesting genre. It's so deep and complex and all the different subgenres. And so that really like kind of that's when I really started to become a fan. And now I like get my hands on anything I can find. So that's awesome. Uh, that's something that's really interesting to me about horror as a specific genre is that it does sort of have that virality where somebody who's really passionate about the genre can get you into horror. And I don't know that that's the case with a lot of other genres. You mm-hmm. know, action movies, they sort of either connect with you or they don't. You know, uh, serious dramas, like either you either you love them and you can get invested in the character work or you're you know, you just don't care. They're, t- they're too slow for you. Yeah. Or it, all it takes is one really good viewing experience to, to for not the movie itself necessarily to be the only thing that clicks for you, but sort of being able to look at the subtext of what the horror movie is saying about the world that we live in and having, you know, a fun, a fun, uh, horrific romp at the same time. <laughs> just something something that i think is is pretty unique to horror as a genre yeah and you know there are all the subgenres. i feel like it's one of the most widely varied you know type yeah. of movies because there's 
home invasion, there's realistic, there's monsters, there's paranormal, there's alien, like, there's just so many things that kind of fit in it that, it's like ice cream. Like, right. as, as long as you everyone. can handle dairy, like, everybody's gonna like some kind of ice cream. Yep. Uh, Do you, you have a, a favorite subgenre? Uh... I don't think I really do. I think that for different reasons, I like different things. Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot more connects to me on an individual movie basis. You know, I mean, some of my top ones are, I love the Scream series. I love Cabin in the Woods. So that's kind of like the more meta, like a little bit funny, but still kind of scary. I I mean, I love Signs. That was from when that first came out. I just like that movie and that's very different. So I think it's more just about the individual movie and also something that I've become, you know, I've found out about myself with a lot of things is like, I really like to like movies Yeah. Um, along with everything else. And so where a lot of people will use, uh, you know, their brain power while watching a movie to like find goofs or find like plot holes, my brain works in a way to like logically patch over those and right. <laughs> and really like try and make it a good movie. So there are a ton of movies that a lot of people are like, oh, that was terrible. And I like you know, I, my brain patches over those plot holes and I like find the parts to enjoy. Right. And so I end up liking at least to some degree, like 90% of the movies that I watch, which makes it really hard to pick a favorite in any genre. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I'm, I'm very jealous of that ability. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that's funny though. It's, I, it's, nice. it's interesting that a lot of the ones that you pointed out really have a very specific voice to them, you know, they all have, it's very much a Joss Whedon movie for Cabin in the Woods, and it's so Wes Craven and unique for Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. that I think that that specific unique voice is, is really interesting, and, and kind of its its own subgenre in a way where, you know, Jordan Peele seems to really be kind of in that same vein of, like, the, this is for sure a Jordan Peele movie. Yeah, and I, I speaking of Jordan Peele, I almost picked either one of his movies, um, great. almost, you know, almost picked Nightmare on Elm Street. Like there were a bunch of things I took into consideration with this, but I picked the movie that I picked because, you know, a lot of people recently have seen the Jordan Peele movies. A lot of people have seen the classics. I feel like this is one that is a little bit underrated. And so I kind of wanted to get that to the forefront. Sure. Well, let's not uh, avoid it anymore. The movie we're talking about today is 2008's The Strangers. Yeah. Uh, and it's directed by... Brian Bertino, he was also the writer of it, and this movie is really solid in, like, a just pure craftsmanship way. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's so, like, workmanship. Everything is just functioning at, like, it's like a well-oiled machine. For those of you who aren't familiar with this movie, it is the story of a young couple who is staying in an isolated vacation home, and all of a sudden they're becoming terrorized by three unknown assailants who are sort of toying with them inside this house. Now, first first thing right off the bat that helps to elevate this movie from just any other home invasion movie is that the two main stars are Scott Speedman and Liv Tyler, both really, really solid actors. Yeah. So that was really exciting to see when you start watching this movie because you spend so much time with them in it. And so it's nice to have these actors that are serious about their craft, you know, kind of leading you through it. Yeah, it's not like, you know, a lot of the campy horror movies where it's just like people trying to get into it and overacting and not really knowing what they're doing. Right. Um, They know what they're doing. And I feel like everybody involved in the production kind of did too, both with, you know, just how things are portrayed on screen, but also I took 
uh, I was telling you before we started recording, I took like four pages of notes while watching this, <laughs> including a list of everything I think the characters did right in this movie, because that's something that always pe- people always pick apart as like, oh, that's so stupid. Right. Um, I have All a right, list well, we'll, we'll for sure get things. into that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny because that was some this is this is exactly that kind of movie, too, where the whole point is, oh, what would I do differently than mm-hmm. these people who are in this home invasion? Because the whole idea is that they could easily be you. Yeah, that's the beauty of this subgenre. Is yeah. that it's you're, it's really one of the most empathetic where you can really put yourself in their shoes and be like I can put myself in this scenario very easily. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I, I I took a bunch of notes as we go through kind of the the plot. There there are a bunch of things that stuck out to me in this like viewing it through this different lens of that, oh I'm going to talk about it, you know that I might have noticed more of like wow they did a really good job of making it so you don't really know what else you could do in this situation. Right. All right, yeah, well, so let's uh, let's get into it. Right off the bat, there is a little bit of preamble talking about how it's based on a true story, and then all of a sudden, all you hear is the 911 call, and there's some kid talking about how there's blood everywhere, and, and you see a little bit of the aftermath. You see some weapons laying around, and but it looks like a beautiful sunny day. And the pastoral landscape kind of feels at odds with the phone call and the scene that we are being set up with, mm-hmm. which I think is a really interesting way of, of kind of setting up that dynamic right away of it's, it's a beautiful area, but is, is that enough to protect someone? Is this isolation uh, something that actually could be a drawback? Um, so it's a really, really awesome opening, and I usually have a problem with in-media res sort of stuff where we jump in later in the story, and then it's like, well, here's what happened. But with this one, it actually works a lot better for me because it doesn't really give away anything. We know what kind of movie we're getting into, so we know that there's going to be some sort of scuffle. We know there's going to be some violence, but there's nothing that says whether – the blood like whose blood it is whether it's the bad guys or the good guys it, it really doesn't say anything about where the story is going to go it just is a great tone setter absolutely and i think that they showed at least the ones that stuck out to me they showed like three glimpses of scenes that mean absolutely nothing at the time mm-hmm. but are like three of the biggest like shocking moments in the story right and so when you get to the end or even throughout the story when you see those it's like, oh, shit, like, you know, <laughs> it's kind of that recognition of like, oh, they showed this in the beginning and it didn't mean anything. But now it's crazy. Like, yeah. Yeah. That that click moment. Yeah. So we have this opening and then it fades to black and we open up on Scott Speedman and Liv Tyler themselves playing uh, the characters James Hoyt and Kristen McKay. They are clearly distressed. Something has gone very wrong, but they're not talking. And so this right at the start to have such reliance on the actors and confidence that they can provide this characterization without dialogue and being able to communicate the emotions that they're feeling strictly from their faces and their body language. It it really says a lot about the trust that was clearly on set. And I think part of why this works so well, because they definitely are trusting each other to pick up the slack of, of where they need people to step in. Yeah, there were two things that really stuck out to me just from this opening, and it's not 
it's not a huge part of the movie. I feel like they say a lot in a pretty short time, you know, mm-hmm. kind of with the exposition. But number one, it's not the typical, like, teenagers go into a cabin to hook up, like, then they get murdered. Yeah, right. that's that's a pretty common trope. It happens a lot. There's good movies with it. There's bad movies with it. But this is not it. They're they're older. They're not excited to be there. <laughs> um, you know, that's not putting it mildly. <laughs> yeah, not in like a oh we our car broke down and we found this creepy place. Like it's a comfortable, familiar place. It's I believe his dad's cabin. Right. But but because of what just recently happened, which we found out we find out a little bit later, they're not really happy. Yeah. But it also says, and this is something that, I mean, stuck out to me. I've definitely experienced something like this before. And I think a lot of people have, whether it's in a romantic relationship or a friendship or a family member where something went wrong and it's affected their entire relationship, but they're not mad at each other. They're not yelling. They're not being mean. They're not being petty. He's obviously like so hurt, but he's still doing nice things for her because he loves her. And that's a really interesting dynamic mm-hmm. that I feel like you don't see a lot in movies that are not based around that. This isn't like a romantic, like coming back together movie. This isn't, you know, it's a horror movie. But in just a few minutes, they set up that feeling of, man, there's a lot of love here. And they're also mm-hmm. really hurt and really sad. And they don't know what to do next. They feel like full characters. They, yeah. they feel like people which is something that's missing from a lot of horror movies and something that really can drag it down because at some point it becomes not enough to just have good effects or good scares. You really need to have a good performance to escalate it as well, and I think that that is absolutely something that's happening here. The reason that they are are so frosty towards each other in, in this opening is because they were at a wedding reception and James proposed to her, and she says no, but he's it, it doesn't seem like she was like oh no i just realized i don't love you or anything she says I, I'm, I'm just not ready yet they've been together for for a while clearly but it's it's moving too fast for her mm-hmm. and so she says no and james is obviously upset and so what he does is he calls his friend mike who was also at the wedding and asks him to pick him up in the morning he says i know you're drunk right now so just whenever you get this you know please come get me i know it's a hassle blah 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 That, one, helps to establish that they are, in fact, extremely isolated because he he has to be like, oh, I need someone to come actually get me. It's not anywhere that I can walk to. Mm -hmm. That isolation is really set up right away. And it also establishes that somebody knows where they are and, in theory, is going to come and get them. Right. It sets things up in two different directions with one very easy call and so it's really that sort of approach that makes it feel very simple, but it's it's a great way of establishing stakes and and sort of not I don't want to call it a Deus Ex Machina, but something like the the hope of something going right later on. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And then as the you know kind of the next step in the story, they don't solve anything. Everything mm-hmm. that went wrong with their relationship is still there, but they're in this cabin. There's champagne. And they, like, start to hook up a little bit. And I feel like that was another familiar thing. Again, not the specific instance, but, like, it's easier to just pretend things aren't wrong and, like, do something good from their relationship. Again, whether it's friends, family, romantic, just to get back into something that was good and ignore for a minute the bad stuff. And then right as they start doing that, and I almost forget it's a horror movie because I'm like, oh, I'm so happy that they're like, you know, they still love each other. Like, there's a knock on the door and it's like, knock, knock, knock. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, they're they're both surprised by this knock. Uh, they're not expecting anybody. It's like four in the morning. Mm-hmm. They specifically point that out where it's like the perfect amount of time where people who are staying up late have probably still gone to bed at this point. People who are getting up early, probably not quite up yet. Yeah. So it's it's basically like the witching hour for murders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the murder time. Yes, the four o'clock. You heard it here first. Four o'clock <laughs> is the murder time. <laughs> so there's the knock at the door. James and Kristen open up the door to see who it is, and there's someone whose face is not really visible. The the light that's on the porch is not working, so you can't see her face. And she just asks, "Is Tamara home?" And obviously, Tamara is not. It's James and Kristen. <laughs> there is no Tamara there. James says as much, and it's obvious that this is supposed to be ominous. Obvious ominous. Yeah. And a lot of the things that she starts to say are particularly unnerving because they have a double meaning to anyone who is like is familiar with horror movies. Uh-huh. And they're they're very serious like oh uh, we'll see you later she says is Tamara here and then when they say no she says are you sure and it's like oh no <laughs> is Tamara there yeah and they do a good job of at least in my mind it's super ominous to us because we know we went to a horror movie mm-hmm. but their reaction is like okay this is a little creepy but they're more concerned for her they're like do you think she's yeah. okay it's a girl wandering around in the middle of nowhere and. Right. They don't know that they're in a horror movie. So, exactly. you know, for us, it's like, oh, like, get get out of there. Like, that's super creepy. But I feel like most people would react the same way of like, OK, we're in a place we're not used to. This could be not such a weird thing. We hope she's OK. Nobody thinks people are obviously like scared of stuff. But like, you never think that you're going to be murdered just because things are going weird. And yeah, that's that's something that I'm going to bring up later, too. Uh, so they turn away this girl and James goes to buy a pack of cigarettes for Kristen. They realize that things they were maybe rubber banding a little bit too much with going mm-hmm. to hooking up. And so <laughs> so he's like, all right, we need a little, little space to like clear our heads. And he goes to go buy her cigarettes, but first he sets up a fire for her in the fireplace. Yeah, so he's still doing really nice stuff for her. She is like visibly distraught over how much she upset him. But she also doesn't feel like she said the wrong thing. She can't take it back, but it really creates a sympathy for the characters. I feel like if they were, you know, fighting and yelling, you wouldn't care so much. You're like, oh, you're being a jerk. If If it was just the typical, like, oh, we're in love and hooking up, like, you don't get that kind of sympathy. But personally, I cared so much about both of them, just like watching that. She feels so bad. He's still doing nice stuff for her. He's like going out in the middle of the night to buy a pack of cigarettes because he knows she can't sleep without it. Right. And and then when he goes, he just like tosses the champagne bottle in the yard. He's going, he probably shouldn't be driving. I mean, he's mm-hmm. not like sloppy drunk, but all of that together just kind of created a feeling for me of who cares? His sure. heart's broken, whatever. I'm just going to throw this bottle. Like it wasn't an angry throw. It was just a hopeless toss. I can't care about things right now. And then obviously the way this movie is going to go really kicks it to the other side when they're like fighting for their lives. And I I thought that was a great, you know, kind of juxtaposition between those two. Yeah, I totally agree. This does a really interesting job of separating them right away. So neither one of them can experience what's going on with the other one besides anything except what they say is happening. 
So this does this does a really good job of setting up sort of a, a disbelief of of things having escalated as much as they have. Which this is sort of to your point before about how nobody wants to believe that anything bad is happening. So if somebody was completely not in the house and not there to experience the creepy stuff that's going on, and uh, they came back and and you were like, hey man, there's someone <laughs> out there. <laughs> They, they might be like, uh, you're, you have an overactive imagination or yeah. you know, you're just hearing things. It's very easy for someone who isn't there to dismiss it. And so having that separation between them not only represents the emotional separation between them, but it sets things up nicely for further down the movie. Yeah, and I think that's something that happens a lot in horror movies is like, oh, if they would only believe them from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, but first of all, like, yeah, you probably wouldn't. You know, it's the logical thing to not believe them because it's, an, you know, a weird thing. And right. also, I feel like, especially in this situation, there was a little bit of hope. Mm-hmm. Like, he might have believed her more than he let on, but he's trying to, like, be the strong one, you know, impress her, make her feel safer. And so, yeah, like I said, this is just something I want to lay out as we get into, like, the actual horror part is... Personally, I always have trouble with the armchair experts of horror films of saying, like, oh, this is what they should have done, and oh, like, I wouldn't have done that. Because, number one, they're in an extreme situation, and very few of us know what we would do if there were, whatever, murderers or aliens or monsters. Yeah, the stress of the situation makes it totally different. And second of all, even just in normal everyday life, I rarely make the right decision every time throughout the day. And right. so I think it's very realistic that people might make a bad decision or do something stupid in this stressful situation because we all make stupid decisions every day. Just for yeah. us, there's less on the line and there's nobody watching us. Um, Can't disagree. That always annoys me because it's, yeah, okay, maybe they did a wrong thing. That's not the same as like a plot hole. Point in case, first mistake that they make, the flue in the chimney is closed. So this fire that Jamie started, or yeah, James, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, he the smoke starts pouring out into the living room sets off the fire alarm uh kristen goes up to turn it off basically because she has opened up the flu and all of a sudden there's another knock at the door and so she's startled she drops the alarm and she instead of going to the door and like opening it she uh calls jamie's cell phone from the landline Mm-hmm. and she's like, there's someone There's someone out here. Uh, I need you to turn around and come back. Uh, don't forget about the cigarettes. Yeah. That's the least of the worries right now. And you can tell on the phone call that he is already a little like, what? Like, there's someone out there? Um, but she asks him to stay on the phone with her, and he, he acquiesces. He says he's going to. And then all of a sudden, uh, it's gone. The phone call is gone. It's cut sh- completely short. And she has no idea why. Very scary. Um, yeah. That's the first first real sign that there is for real something. Some bad stuff is about to go down. <laughs> yeah. And this is where it starts where I feel like they're really doing some of the right stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a knock on the door again. She doesn't go out and like, oh, you know, maybe this time it's a friend. She locks the door and she starts to look around the house. That's yeah, when they say the, the same question. She's like, who is it? And she's like, is Tamara yeah. here? And oh, so, yeah. <laughs> she's like, all right, this is, I don't give a shit if she's drunk. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. I'm holding up in here. The first time's totally a little creepy. Sense. The second time is something's really wrong. This is scary. Yeah. So, yeah, she locks the door. That's when the smoke alarm, you know, 
it's super loud. No matter what you're doing, I could actively be murdered and I would like go shut off the fire alarm because it's so annoying. <laughs> so yeah. she does that and then goes to get her phone, but it's dead, which mm-hmm. makes sense when you're at a wedding and then you get to the place at 4 a.m. Like that made sense. Oh yeah. So then Especially she goes to get the house back phone. then. Oh yeah. Like when the batteries were not as uh, you know, 14 hour long battery life sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, you don't care as much, and it's just like, you know, middle of the night, That with all the stuff going on with their relationship, that wasn't on their mind. So her phone right. was dead, she plugs it in, and then goes to the house phone. Like, yeah, absolutely, well done. That's all the yeah. things you should do. <laughs> also, <laughs> check, check, and check. She had put her the dress from the wedding back on, but as soon as stuff starts getting creepy, she changes into a practical outfit. She puts on jeans yep. and a shirt. Right. Well done. <laughs> It's like, Liv Tyler, you're killing it, doing a great job right now. Um, and or when the phone call gets cut off, she's like, OK, I need to try and remain calm. I can't freak out because if I freak out, then I'm going to make mistakes. She's mm-hmm. already aware of this as well. Yeah. So she goes to the kitchen and she like gets herself a glass of water. And all of a sudden we see the man in the mask is, is his official character name. Is is standing in the background in the shadows, just watching her, and it's so creepy. It's really and, one of like this is one of the scenes. I would say there's like probably three scenes that really make this movie for me, and this is one of them because it's set up as a scene with a pretty wide lens. And so watching a horror movie, you're like, okay, something's gonna happen. Yeah. But they wait long enough where you're like, oh, maybe not. Like, I was scanning. I was looking all around. I was like, all right, what's going to happen? And nothing happens. She's, like, smoking. She's standing there. They pull back a little bit. And then there's no jump scare. There's no noise. You just see his mask behind her in another room. He's not rushing at her. He's just fucking watching. Yeah. And oh, like so creepy. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched this when I rewatched it, you know, to make sure I knew what I was talking about. It was, like, 10 in the morning super bright, like, on my couch, and I, I got chills. I was like, <laughs> I've seen this movie before. It's the middle of the day. This is really creepy. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's not just in this particular scene, although I think that it is certainly uh, brought to a head in this scene, there's really just a sense of looming. Like, this being watched and the paranoia that she feels really starts to extend to us as the audience. Yeah. And... He's just standing there, and it's super creepy. And it's so long. It's so long. It's and several seconds. Really, yeah, and there's not really any score going at this time. It's very minimal, if anything. And it really lets you just soak in it. It's <laughs> so, so tense. And this whole time, the camera – I think that I was reading that they all – that they used only uh, handheld cameras and steady cams. Yes. And – it's very noticeable because there's this slight wobble to basically the entire movie that it's just enough to make it feel more naturalistic and like you are actually watching it happen. All of these things coming together, just they create this scene that is just it's so nerve wracking as you're standing there waiting for something, anything to happen. Mm hmm. And that's also the first time we know that they can get into the house. It's not yeah. just the girl out front. This is someone else, so there's at least two of them, and one of them can get in the house. Right. And and she's so calm. I mean, this is, you know, she's a little freaked out, but, like, she's smoking the end of an old cigarette. She's, like, getting a glass of water, like you said, trying to stay calm. And so that is, like, we're freaking out outside the screen, and she's trying to stay calm because she doesn't see him. Right. Uh, 
so it's yeah it's a really good scene (laughs) yeah it really is and unfortunately for her that sense of calm does not last very long because although she does not see the uh, man in the mask she wanders back into the living room and notices that the fire alarm that she dropped is now on a chair so she like this is when she puts two and two together realizes that someone else is in the house with her and there's more than one of them compared to just the, the one girl outside. And this is another thing. So I guess this is a good time to get into like why one of the reasons why this really stuck with me is because I'm a very logical person. So I like horror movies, but anything that's supernatural, it can freak me out if it's a good movie. But logically, I know that it's not something I have to worry about. Right. And, and this is a very realistic movie. And this is one of those things where... How many times have we misplaced something and we thought we put it somewhere else and then it wasn't? So this is something that kind of sticks with me is like the next time that I think I put my water glass on this table, but it's over here on the counter. <laughs> I'm immediately brought back to the scene of, wait, are there like several murderers in the house with me? Or yeah, they're just, just trying to help you out. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was out. really good because it's a very yeah. subtle thing. It's not, you know, it's not anything super scary except when it's in this context. Exactly, exactly. And, and so she is now aware of this. She's starting to freak out. She goes to get her cell phone from the charger and realizes that it's missing. So she's in full-on panic mode now. Mm-hmm. She grabs a knife. She is, like, kind of locking herself into a room. Another point and, for her? Immediately, yep. like, shit happened, go get a knife. Yep. Like, all your that phones are gone. You can't call anyone. Yeah, like, her, the first thing she does is goes and gets a weapon. I thought yep. that was great. So she goes into the room, and she hears a noise, and she peeks open a little bit to see what it is, and boom, there's the man in the mask staring at her. Yeah. It's uh, so freaky. It is. Yeah, she like goes, she pulls back the curtain, and he's right there. Yeah. And, and that was another one where it's like, oh, just run and hide. But at that point, she hasn't seen him yet. She still has that little bit of hope that it's all overreacting, and you kind of have to prove to yourself that like everything's okay. It's like, if you hear a noise downstairs in the middle of the night, you go check it out. Not because I think I'm going to fight someone, but because I'm not going to rest easy until I know that everything's fine. So I think when she goes up, (laughs) yeah, exactly. She goes up to the, and is like, you can tell that she's scared and she has the knife, but there's that little bit of hope that she's going to pull back the curtain and it's going to be a raccoon and she can just like chill. Yeah. It's not. It's him right there. And it's fucking scary. It's not. (laughs) Especially because this is still pretty early in the movie uh, it, it's a pretty short movie it's like 85 minutes and that means that they can't waste any time they yeah. get into it really quick and so in another movie that um was like oh we need to pad it out we need to pad it out that might have been a raccoon right. it might have been another lame like jump scare or something and instead it's something that is genuinely contributing to the plot yeah absolutely so then she goes and just hides in the room um, you know, back to the wall, turns off the light, super freaked out, has the knife, and then she hears someone coming to the door, More and it's bang. James. Yeah, so she's in the room, she sees him in the window, and she walks back down the hallway, walks, I say, she walks <laughs> back down the hallway, and all of a sudden she notices that the door, the front door, is being forced open. Mm-hmm. And so she is working to push it closed, and she notices that it's the, the blonde woman from before now in a doll mask because she 
the lights have been turned back on for the porch mm-hmm. so she can see this creepy mask and so we're we're sensing the trend here <laughs> yeah we're seeing that they have this 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 freaky mask fetish <laughs> <laughs> where I think that was the working title of the movie yeah i bet i wouldn't be surprised it's, <laughs> you got a doll one and like sort of a like jason in friday the 13th part two sort of sack face yeah and it's really so they're already very creepy and so she's working to shut the the front door and she gets that locked and runs back to the bedroom and locks herself in there and in the hubbub the record player that she had set it was uh, it was his head started skipping mm-hmm. and so in, in addition to all this running around and being terrified there's also a really annoying skipping noise that only adds to the tension and it was a creepy ass song anyway so right. the skipping doesn't help that <laughs> yeah absolutely and so she locks herself in the in the room and all you hear is the the skipping record and all of a sudden it stops and yeah. that moment when they turn it off i i felt really scared there because in my head i was like oh my god please stop <laughs> that skipping record yeah and then when i got my wish i was like oh no somebody <laughs> turned off the record put it back on put it back on <laughs> yeah, yeah so so it's it's really a, a real monkey's paw situation <laughs> and so we're freaked out she's freaked out but she opens the door, and here's where they get you with the fake out. It's actually James, mm-hmm. and he's the one who t- who stopped it. And so here's where there's sort of the the rush of of letting it all sort of escape, and and finally saw like a, a familiar face, someone that you trust to protect you. And there's really this sense of relief that now at least it's two against them instead yeah. of just being picked off. Yeah, uh, you never want to be alone. Like, having anyone there is always better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and and her being afraid of someone and having the weapon and sitting there and then it turns out to be him is one of my favorite bits of foreshadowing. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll get back to that, but... She explains what's happening and he doesn't really believe it, but he... Which, first of all, so... Up until this point, I am totally on board, but but he saw that creepy girl. <laughs> he mm-hmm. saw her. And so I'm like, look, man, if when she's like, there's some weirdos around, maybe now is when you start to believe it. <laughs> because yeah, you, you at least saw that girl. I, I definitely understand being like, oh, it's whatever. But there, he should at least have uh, – he should know that something is amiss. And I think that he sort of does where, like you said, it, he's trying to put on a brave front, but – he does seem a little scared, and he goes to get his phone out of the car because yeah. he thinks that she uh, lost her phone or something. But when she was looking for it, we saw a shot of the phone in the fireplace um, on fire. Getting yeah. Home. She so, didn't do that, by right. the way. <laughs> yes, that's right. She didn't um, do it. Yeah, and um, you definitely get that sense of like, all right, he loves her so much that he just proposed and she shut him down. So they're in this situation, and I, I feel like throughout the whole thing, you get this sense of him trying to be a hero, mm-hmm. not not because he's the you know typical like heroic jock guy or anything. Like I feel like there's that desperation the whole time of like he's trying to win her back. Yeah. They they didn't get time to discuss where their relationship's going before all mm-hmm. this happened. There's there's that underlying tone of like 
not only is he trying to survive whatever's happening, he's trying to survive what happened in their relationship and not only keep her alive, but keep her as his. And so I see a lot of his actions are kind of driven by that as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And so, like I said, he goes to his car, but he finds out that the car has been ransacked and vandalized, and he looks around and he sees the the blonde-haired girl that they saw before and who was trying to force, force open the front door. Uh, he sees her watching him from afar. So he rightfully starts to get on board with being freaked out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Liv Tyler rushes out with him, and they get into the car, and they're like, all right, we're going to leave. But as they're getting ready to go, a third person, and uh, this is another girl in sort of a pinup mask. It still looks kind of like a doll, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, her character name is Pinup Girl. And <laughs> she rear-ends them with the truck. So now their car is messed up. And uh, they don't have any phones, and they're basically screwed. <laughs> so yeah, and they... and one thing that I don't want to gloss over is that when he's in the car, she touches his neck. Yeah, it's and, and like, please, if you're a murderer, just stab me. <laughs> like, just kill me. Don't come up behind me and touch my neck. <laughs> yeah, it's the it it's the like, playing with them. That's so much worse. Yeah, and that's something that I kept coming back to in my notes, is that you really get this feeling throughout the whole thing, and we'll come back to several things, but, like, it's not like a murderer, he wants to murder them and then move on. This mm-hmm. is a game. Yeah. They can't figure out what these people want, because it's not just, like, they're trying to kill me, I'm trying to stay alive. It's simple as that. There's so many things that are just toying with them, just, like, keeping them stranded but not killing them, touching their fucking neck. Like, <laughs> there's just so many things that it's, like, it, it really adds to that level of what do you want? Like, how can I possibly get out of this when it's not just, oh, I have to stay alive? It's mm-hmm. that they want something else. It's not ransom. It's not, like, kidnap. It's it's just being toyed with, and that's right. really unsettling, too. At, at this point, they are, they've both been in moments where they could have been killed already. Yeah. Um, when when Kristen is in the kitchen, the guy in the baghead could have very easily killed her. And in here, James very easily could have been killed by the woman in the car. Mm-hmm. It, it's, to your point, it very much says that they're, they're here for something else besides just bloodlust. It's yeah. more than that. It's creepier than that. <laughs> <laughs> so... They flee the car, they get back to the house, because they're like, all right, at least we need a base of operations sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And James, he gets a shotgun out of the car, or not out of the car, he gets a shotgun in the house, and they say, all right, we're going to hole up in the bedroom. Another check mark for them. Yeah. (laughs) This is great. Yeah, (laughs) that's like everyone's, like, if you get a gun and you're in a house, just sit in a corner and just shoot anyone that comes at you. Yeah. Well... Um, (laughs) <laughs> exactly so this it, look we're, we're totally on board with this logic mm-hmm. but it turns out that mike is a better friend than james gave him credit for <laughs> because here comes glenn howerton in a in a small but fun role as mike and he he leaves james a message he says hey man uh you know i'm out here a little earlier than i expected just to uh you know i wanted to get you out of there you know it's it yeah. doesn't seem like it would be a fun time so i'm here uh but as he's walking towards it he sees the wrecked car and he he thinks that something has gone wrong correctly he thinks that something has <laughs> gone wrong 
Detective. And, <laughs> yes, exactly. Detective Mike, he walks into the house and they have no idea that Mike has shown up. They both don't have their phones. They have no way of knowing that it's Mike. The strangers put the record player back on, I believe. So yeah. they don't even hear him like when he comes in. And I think he like, you know, calls their name, but the record player is really loud. So they have like no sensory idea at all. Right. And and so he's carefully and slowly sort of exploring the house, and you kind of, uh, you're like, it seems like he's doing the right thing, but you can imagine if you were in the other people's shoes, if you were in Kristen and James's shoes, how the slow, methodical search <laughs> might sound like someone just fucking with you. Yeah. And, and especially if you're like, oh, they've been like around and just watching us this whole time, that's sort of... It, it, it's almost worse than having someone like rush around in a panic is yeah. a slow and, uh, walk. And knowing what Mike knows that they obviously something went wrong with their relationship. Like he, you know, the house is all messed up. He mm-hmm. probably doesn't really think that like that was from a lover's spat or a relationship fight. But I think that that's more logical than, Oh, there's murderers. Yeah, you know, sure. like he's coming to pick up his friend because he got in a fight with his almost fiance. And so mm. he's probably just like, what the fuck did they do? <laughs> Why did they trash this place? Like, I get that they were upset, but, you know, he's probably thinking that his friend is super drunk and like threw stuff around. So, yeah, and it's for them to have gotten all the way back without an explosion like that. And then, you know, once they're finally there, that's when it, it came to a head. You're right. It's like it it seems like that could be the only case, but only because it's so hard to accept what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And so as he's walking around, he turns the corner to where they're hiding and unfortunately takes a shotgun shot right to the face. And poor Mike, he just gets destroyed. This this is, I think, one of the best scenes of any horror movie, I think. Because, one, it completely fucking deletes the, like, good job of hiding in the room with a shotgun. Because that was a good idea. Like, Mm -hmm. 99% of the time, that's going to be what you want to do. But he killed his best friend. And that taps in on an entire other level of feeling that you don't get from most horror movies. It's not fear of being killed. It is the fear of hurting someone that you love unexpectedly killing your best friend that's not something that most movies at all tap into and i found that really jarring like, yeah that's a, sort of along, friendly fire along with all this other stuff like as you know as random or unsettling or anything else as other things might be you know this isn't the type of movie that's built around that this is just a part of this movie that has a whole other purpose that really has one of the most unsettling scenes i think that i've ever seen just when you really break down, he's got his, he's on a hair trigger. He's ready to kill the murderer that comes through the door. And it just happens to be his best friend who came out in the middle of the night to try and like pick him up and save him. Yeah. And just the gut wrenching feeling of that is completely unmatched for me in anything I've seen. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's serious and it's very sobering because like you said, it's very different from sort of what's going on around them. It's a completely different sort of horror that really puts a, a like pit in your stomach. Yeah, a lot of, you know, a lot of horror movies have them, like, watching their friend die. It's a group of friends, and the murderer's picking them off, and, like, that's terrible. But to do it himself, Mm -hmm. completely by accident, as his friend is trying to help him, 
there's just like, what do you say about that? Yeah, exactly. It's 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 something that's pretty unique and that definitely helps to elevate this because it's it's approaching you. It's giving you so many different types of horror in a very like tight script. It's it's mm-hmm. very like I said, it's only 85 minutes for the theatrical version, and it's it, they're making really good use of every single one of them. Yeah. Obviously, James is devastated by this, <laughs> um, <laughs> as you would be, and they're they're both freaking out and crying. James and Kristen. Um, he tries to stop her from looking. They don't have time to deal with this though. Part of the horror is that they don't even have time to process what's happening. Yeah. Um, and so. James remembers that there's a like a, a radio transmitter in the barn area, like a shed in the backyard. And so he says, you stay here because this is like a safe spot that you can hole up in and not have to worry about following or, or you know, doing anything like that. And he's going to go out to the radio to try and get to someone. And yeah. This is one where a lot of people criticize this movie as like, oh, you're like leaving her alone without Mm -hmm. the gun. And I get that. He does say while he's talking, he's like, they're going to come to me because he's going out there. So you'll be safe. Mm -hmm. He's not thinking straight because he just killed his friend. And I think this is like the prime example of him trying to be a hero, not just for her, but also because of what he just did to his friend. He's upset. He's angry. And he feels like he needs to take action to do something positive to just, like, chip away at this, like, profoundly negative that he just, you know, brought into the world. I feel like this is him trying to take action and, like, sacrifice himself and draw them away while he tries to save them. You know, might not be the smartest thing, but I definitely see his reasoning behind it. So he does make this attempt. He he does convince her to stay. And so as James is running out there, he sees a pinup girl is in the backyard looking around just to, I guess, make sure that there's no one else or to look for another way to scare them. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like they're they're in the middle the middle of a planning stage where they're like, all right, what should we write on the windows now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of which, they do write killer on the window. Yeah, uh, yeah, really taunting James about what he's just done. Yeah. And yeah, right? This is, <laughs> that's the cherry on top. <laughs> And uh, and so he sees Pinup Girl, and he starts to get ready to shoot her. He like goes prone, but there's the man in the mask again, always just lurking behind people. Mm-hmm. And the man in the mask knocks James unconscious, and the gun goes off. Kristen hears the the shot, and she's already so freaked out, and so she runs outside as well. She's either gonna help. Because if they're at that point where there are gunshots happening, they probably need help or it's a good time to kind of get the upper hand. So this is, again, I think a pretty, pretty reasonable reaction. So she runs out and kind of stumbles into the barn and finds the radio transmitter. And so she says, "Okay, here's my chance. I'm going to like whisper into the radio and somebody does actually pick up and Mm -hmm. (laughs) seems amenable to helping but as she's whispering lo and behold there's pinup girl again and she smashes the radio with an axe Kristen rushes out she does get back to the house but uh she's hurt at this point she had tripped and like messed up her leg when she was going out to the radio so she's already injured and she has no idea where james is so she's really kind of in the hole right now she gets back but 
when she's in the house, they're still in there, and Dollface is there and and taunts her with a knife and is like, "You're gonna die." And yeah. but it's not. <laughs> I I even actually said it more threateningly than she did. It's which is part of what makes it so creepy. Yeah, is that it's more like a fact than a threat. <laughs> at, at no point do the they like yell or get like. I mean, obviously they're mean people, but like right. it's you know the way that they speak is all just like very matter of fact like kind of playful and it's it's very rare too that they speak there's not yeah. a lot of back and forth the the man in the mask does not speak at all right. and but the other two have a few lines and as she tries to escape from dollface the man in the mask incapacitates her and you see james getting dragged back into the house and it's a beautiful sunrise is happening yeah and that's that's also something that i think is interesting is it's you know, it's not like a single shot, but it's pretty much real time because it mm-hmm. starts like after 4 a.m. and it ends at like sunrise. Yeah. And so it's all pretty much happening right then. And again, it, the sort of symbolism of a of a sunrise is very much like, oh, it's a new day and things are going to be better. But that's not the case. For, things are for so much worse. <laughs> yeah, this is sort of the uh, denouement where where things are really coming to a head here and they're getting tied up on the couch and her and James are like, oh, I love you so much. Kristen literally says, why are you doing this to them? And Dollface says, because you were home. Best line, best horror movie line, like, <laughs> got chills. It's terrifying. It's so... It feels, like, really, like, nihilistic and cynical and just the only reason that it's them is because they answered the door. It's, it, it brings everything that we had talked about so far in this episode, that they're just playing with them, that it's that realism, and that's why it really got me. Because, like I said, I'm a very logical person, so I can be, like, I can enjoy a horror movie, but I'm always, like, you know, okay, well, this isn't going to happen to me because of this. This, yeah, it's the randomness. It's that yeah. they just wanted to toy with people and then murder them, and they just picked people that were home. There's nothing that your brain can do to tell you that that's not going to happen to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's really terrifying, and that's why they they say that when they're trying to like hunt down killers, mm-hmm. the hardest cases to solve are the ones where there isn't like a, a clear connection or a clear motive between the the killer and the victim, and right. that. The fact that they're in this this deserted area and it was totally random, there's it makes you feel like there is no chance that there's going to be any justice here. Yeah, absolutely. So it's insanely dark. It's it's a great response and it's wonderfully delivered. And the strangers actually unmask themselves here, but we still don't get to see them. Yeah, and that's right? the typical like anytime someone's a hostage and they let you see their face, you know you're not making it out. Yeah, it really it sends a message to to Kristen and James, but I also think that it's really interesting that this is the first like real violence that they've done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they've definitely been intimidating. Yeah, that's but, true. But they haven't really done anything to the people at, until this moment, and so it's it's like they're showing them their true selves in order to do the violence. That this is who they are at their core. That right. they have this violence in them. And I think that it's it's really interesting that Kristen and James had to go through so much before they got to see the true face of these people. 
And so we didn't go through it. So we don't get to see their real faces. Yeah. We only get to see the face that they showed everybody else with the masks. So I, I just thought that was a kind of interesting way to keep the framing of the intimidation that these people have. Yeah, I and, love that. And, that's that's yeah. great. So <laughs> as they unmask, they take turns just stabbing them very slowly, very deliberately, sort of in the like stomach, chest area. Yeah. And it was a good job of like not like, oh, one stab and they're dead. It was mm-hmm. a very kind of grueling. You, you got to stab him a bunch of times and he's like mm-hmm. slowly dying right next to her. But she's yeah, tied up they're tied together. And the whole time what happened in my mind was that basically their last like real interaction was that she turned down his proposal. And as a society, I feel like people are very focused on, like, if there's a death, it's always, oh, what's the last thing I said to them or the last thing we did together? And so not only is this horrible in its own right, but she's thinking that the last, you know, thing that she really did to him was turn down his proposal and break his heart. And that just really crushed me. (laughs) It's true. Although he does look down and sees that she did put on the wedding ring and was wearing it. So it's possible that he felt a little bit of redemption uh, in that moment. Yeah, or it's just possible. thought, what the fuck? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And, you know, it's you see like one or two of these really deliberate stabbings. But even as it pulls away and you're you're looking outside at the sort of landscape around them, you still hear more of like the knife entering uh, like body sound. Mm-hmm. It's really gross to you've stopped hearing any resistance and they're just still going and really feels like a nice topper for these characters that like this is it's all been leading up to this moment. And it's so deliberate that Mm -hmm. it really kind of is a nice end point for them. But as the strangers start to leave, they drive away in their truck and they come across Two young boys on bikes distributing religious tracts. They have these little, uh, like, Christian flyers. Living. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> they, they look like they're Mormons on, on like, their mission or something like that, mm-hmm. something to that effect. And one of the girls comes out and asks for uh, if she can have one of the flyers, and the boy asks, are you a sinner? And the girl says, sometimes. <laughs> and that, man, it's such a nice, like, coda to the movie where it's – it really kind of still plays into that whole like the the mask is is what they show when they don't when they're not doing the violence and yeah that this is uh, the true face is the one that has the violence behind it and it's that sort of covering things up and the sometimes they're a sinner is chilling <laughs> it really yeah. is because I feel like. I mean, there, there's a whole bunch that can be said about that. But, you know, that's what I might say if somebody asked me and I was just like trying to be nonchalant about it. You know, everybody's sometimes a sinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're probably not always doing murders like this. And so sometimes they're doing that. But it's a little bit different than most people. Yeah, uh, it was a really interesting interaction for sure. Definitely. And and these boys continue their walk as the strangers drive off. And you realize that this is sort of where the movie started and they walk into the house and the he like reaches down to touch Liv Tyler who's laying there completely bloody and at the very last shot they get you one last time yeah <laughs> she, she screams and and her eyes fly open 
Um, it's a terrifying think, scream. I'm not really yeah. one for like jump scares. That's not like what I consider to be a good horror movie, but this was a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do a nice job with it. And like I said, it's like a nice coda mm-hmm. where it's just like, hey, one last little thing before you go. <laughs> yeah. One thing just in that last scene when they get out of the truck and talk to the boys and then get back in the truck, the one woman says it will be easier next time. Oh, yeah, that's right. She does. And to me that I didn't know how to take that because it could be taken as like this was her first murder and like she was struggling with like the morality of it. Mm -hmm. uh, And next time will be easier. Or she could have just meant like logistically. Yeah. This was a tricky one. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, maybe this is something. Oh, next time we'll kill him faster and it'll be like more of a fun game. It, for, it just kind of struck me two ways, and I don't know which one it really means. I feel like it could go either way, because you don't know anything about the killers, really. Right. And just the thought of that, next time it'll be easier, you know, we'll pick slower targets or something, just, right. like, really kind of got to me. Well, and they also, it feels very much like a family at the mm-hmm. end. Like, it, they, the one girl, Dollface, seems pretty... Uh, significantly younger than Pinup Girl and uh, the man in the mat. The what? I, what is his name again? Man in the mask. Man yeah. in the bag. Something like that. <laughs> man, it is man <laughs> in the mask. It's so simple that I couldn't remember it. <laughs> um, yeah. So she seems significantly younger than than Pinup Girl and Man in the Mask, and so you you wonder like. Were they taking her, like, to your point of it could have been her first one, it was like, oh, is this, uh, like, my first murder? And and <laughs> they were taking her out for a fun family outing. Yeah. And they're like, oh, this is our hobby, dear, and wouldn't you like to join us? <laughs> it really, it, it feels very, it's such a normal thing to say for yeah. such an abnormal situation. I feel like, you know, you said they don't talk very much. There's, like, five lines total from all of the murderers, but... I feel like everything they say makes you have way more questions than answers. And yeah. So you, you leave with, like, both the feeling of you have no idea who these terrible, murderous people are and the feeling that this could really happen to anyone, including you. And yeah. I think those two things, along with the, like, insert of killing his best friend while he was trying to save his own life, that's why this movie really stuck with me and that's why I picked this one, because it that's something that I don't get from a lot of films. Yeah, I, but so as we sort of get towards the end here, I do, I want to shout out the movie poster, which is just like a a still shot from the kitchen scene. And you sort of, it is a little spoilery in that, you know, when she's in there that someone's going to be behind her, but it's rare that a movie poster can as perfectly encapsulate the movie that you're about to watch as this poster does for this movie. Yeah. Um, it really lets you know exactly what you're in for. It's got the like looming creepy effect. You have Liv Tyler front and center and she really is a powerhouse in this movie. She's so good in it. Mm-hmm. And it, she, she kind of carries the movie, you know, kicking and screaming throughout <laughs> this entire thing. Yeah. And you have her standing there and the man in the mask is behind her and, yeah, it's really just a perfect snapshot of exactly what you're going to get. So I just want to say kudos to whoever chose that for the poster. Absolutely. So you you sort of touched on it a little bit already, but, you know, I, I, I got to say, Nick, I, give me your summation of why this is the best horror movie of all time. Because it's, it's a high praise. 
And there's a lot of great movies out there. So why is this the best horror movie? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that for me, this defeated my overwhelming logic of why I shouldn't be scared of any horror movie because it can't happen to me. Uh, I don't have a logical reason why, if this were real, it couldn't be me. So that's scary. I feel like on the range of the type of home invasion or slasher movies, they really did a good job of trying not to get murdered. Better than most characters do. It, it just felt so defeating that they were trying to call for help. They tried to get a gun and just sit there. They tried to get away in the car. And at every turn, they were defeated in such like a nonchalant and playful manner. And so, you know, that that was like really jarring. The scenes of him shooting his friend the scene of because you were home that like that that's just really really unsettling and really unique to me that's not really things i've seen in a lot of other movies and also as i mentioned i feel like it's kind of underrated not that there aren't a hundred movies deserving of being one of the best but it's not super recent it's also not one of the classics that people talk about all the time and i feel like it it deserves a little more praise than it gets in my mind and then there's just the unexplainable this is what came to my mind as soon as you asked me. This yeah, is what's always been at the top of my list. We can break it down and analyze it, but without doing any of that, this is what pops up in my head when you ask me that question. And I think that that deserves something as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to me, this is the best horror movie of all time because it's pretty straightforward and it, it doesn't, it's not trying to do too much, which is something that I really appreciate. It's sort of a very streamlined, well done movie. It's not loaded like a lot of movies are it's it's to the point and it has it's one of the movies where even though all of the the parts of it are great the whole thing together is even better like it's it's greater than the sum of its parts even though those parts are already very good (laughs) and that sort of streamlined movie is really something that i love to see it gets you scared and it lets you go and and you're not standing there for three hours listening to droning uh, spooks as as ghosts <laughs> jump out from behind a closet. Yeah. Um, it's it's really everything that I love about slashers. So that's why I think it's the best horror movie of all time. Uh, Nick, it's been wonderful having you on. Thanks so much. Is there anything that you want to plug or talk about to the to our lovely audience? Um, I mean, thanks so much. This was even more fun than I expected it to be. But yeah, as I mentioned in the very beginning, check out Ben's uh, Can I Be Real, Real Like a Movie, R-E-E-L, on Twitter and Instagram, because I really feel like I owe him for getting me into horror movies, which kind of led me here. So that's what I'd like to plug. And thank you very much for having me on here. Uh, Absolutely. And we'll have to talk about making sure that Ben can get on here as well. Absolutely. For the audience, you can check out the Twitter for the show at LittleHorrorPHL. Let us know what you think of the movies. And find me on Twitter at GergHef. That's G-E-R-G-H-E-F. And that's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye.